Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just like fingerprints, every one of us has a different gut microbiome. And there is emerging research suggesting that it may well influence our health as much as our inherited genes do. Good gut health has also been strongly linked to our overall well-being, including weight management, energy, and stress. The good news is that there are plenty of things you can do to look after your digestive system and support a healthy gut microbiome. Bimuno Daily is a unique fiber supplement that naturally feeds and stimulates the growth of good bacteria in the gut. It's a taste-free powder that fits into your daily routine and is scientifically proven to increase levels of good bacteria in your gut within seven days. Visit bimuno.com and enter the code RETRITION at the checkout to get 10% off. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. On the menu at the gym I went to last week, a salad niçoise is now repackaged as a high-protein tuna. On Pinterest, you can now choose protein as one of your interests in life. And last year, there were 70 million Google searches for protein. Around half of all UK consumers are apparently seeking to add extra protein to their diets. So joining me is Anita Bean, a registered nutritionist and author specialising in sports nutrition to help us understand exactly what we need to know when it comes to fueling athletic performance through not only protein, but our diets as a whole. Hello, Anita. Hello there. Oh, I'm so glad we finally managed to get you on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. I think um, if we start with the fact that in every supermarket today, it's clear that people seem to regard protein as some kind of uh, universal elixir. And food companies are now adding it to literally everything. Why do you think there's such an obsession at the moment with the term or added protein. You're absolutely right. Protein is everywhere. And I think people have now become obsessed with it because the mm. fact is that nobody is actually short of protein. We know that the average person actually exceeds their protein requirement. Uh, the reason why it's being added to so many foods is simply a marketing ploy. But mm. it does appeal to people because most people perceive protein as something that will aid their weight loss efforts so mm -hmm. they believe that it helps them to feel fuller for longer and therefore improves mm. satiety and the second reason is that protein they believe that eating extra protein will improve their fitness gains will help to make them stronger make them leaner and make them fitter yeah but the truth is 
that there is actually very little evidence that we need such large amounts of protein. So, of course, we need a certain amount of protein Mm. to fulfil all of the body's requirements and to aid recovery after exercise. But having excessive protein won't give you bigger gains. It Mm. certainly won't speed weight loss. Mm. There's no evidence that that's the case. Mm. And it certainly won't increase your strength gains. It won't increase your recovery once you've had enough. So by having added protein, all you're doing really is just essentially you're wasting your money yeah because you can get enough protein from your food well this is just it and probably excreting it out every day in your urine not really it's not really doing much if you have too much at one point or sitting yeah absolutely that would be the ultimate fate of the excess protein so Mm. excess protein the body will use what it needs the rest will be treated as an energy source so it can potentially be used to provide energy mm. and then some of the, the molecule can be excreted in the mm. urine. So yeah. although added protein foods are perhaps they're convenient, perhaps you don't mind spending your money on them, mm. they certainly won't do you any harm. Yeah. But you have to remember that it's very easy to get, for most people, I should say, for most people it is <laughs> yeah. very easy to get sufficient protein I mean, from I, food. Yeah, I think for most people with protein fixes, it's probably associated to working out as well, which is why we've got the perfect person here to talk about this. Could we start with explaining to people what different sources of fuel do? So what does a carb do to aid our body, a fat and a protein when it comes to working out? Okay, so those are the three Mm. macronutrients that we need. So carbohydrates and fats are our primary source of energy. So carbohydrates will include your sugars and yeah. starches. Um, we don't, probably don't need to go into a chemistry lesson, but <laughs> suffice to say that when you are exercising, your body is going to be burning a mixture of carbohydrate and fat, but mm. the proportion that you use will differ. So it will depend really on a number of things. The main one will be the intensity Mm. of your exercise. So if you're exercising at a high intensity, then you'll be burning a higher proportion of carbohydrate and a smaller proportion of fat. And if you're exercising to low intensity, so let's say you're walking, you're going to be burning a relatively high percentage of your calories from fat. And then Mm. as you speed up, you go into a jog, the mixture will change, so you'll mm. use a high percentage of carbohydrate. And as you go into a fast run and even sprinting, it could be you know, almost pure carbohydrate that mm. you're burning. So you'll always be burning carbohydrate when you're exercising. So the yeah. role of carbohydrate is partly as a muscle fuel. Also, it's important to maintain your day-to-day body functions. Well, even your brain. Brain, People heart, don't think yeah. about it, do they? It's everything. Abs- yeah, you, you need it to function as a human mm. being. So carbohydrate is your body's preferred source of energy. So fat is also a source of energy. Yeah. You'll use it during exercise. But the main difference between carbs and fat for energy is that carbohydrate is fast energy. Your body can break it down extremely quickly. Mm. You can get um, 20 for, for each, um, it, it can supply 25 calories per mm. minute, which is wow. much, much faster than fat, which mm. is a slow fuel. So that's a difference. It will produce energy much slower. Yeah. So six calories per minute. Oh gosh, it's such a big difference. It's a difference. big difference. So carb, um, so, so, nothing wrong with fat but if you try and do high intensity exercise say fast running or a hard gym workout Mm. and you haven't got much carbohydrate available in your muscles or in your bloodstream you will run into difficulties you're less likely to go for a long time i think a lot of people following any um different fatty diets um i hear a lot in the clinic low carb and high fat and that kind of thing um there's not one answer for everyone, but definitely your lifestyle. And how does protein work? Okay, so protein, that's our third macronutrient. Mm. Well, protein forms the structure of every single body cell. Yes. So it has a structural role. So it um, it makes up the proteins in your cells, but basically it will make up your your muscles, your skin, yes. your hair, your bones. Nails. And now, <laughs> yes, just about every um, body tissue you can think of. But it also forms your enzymes. Mm. Antibodies, mm. Um, so it has Essential. got multiple, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so enzymes, and so it has got multiple metabolic and structural roles wow. in the body. So it's really, really important. We have a daily requirement for protein, and um, you see, so, yeah, so the basically you do need to consume it on a regular basis. Mm. 
And if you don't, if you are lacking in protein, then that will lead to a breakdown of lean body tissue, mm. such as your muscles and your organs. I mean, that's quite scary and muscle degeneration and things like that. And in your book, uh, The Complete Guide to Sports Nutrition, which, which I adore, you, you start by explaining the concept of energy. So... If you could um, delve further into what about people calculating their resting metabolic rate, for instance? So why, why should people do that and the effect on physical okay. activity levels? What differs here? Okay, the reason why it's really important to start with energy and pay attention to energy is that the main difference between somebody who is completely sedentary and somebody who exercises regularly is the amount of energy that you burn. Mm. If you think about it, for example, when you're running, you're burning 62 calories per kilometre. So whether you run it at in five minutes or 10 minutes. Mm. So it's a big big energy cost. So it's really important if you're exercising regularly that you fuel your body properly. Mm. And that's why you've then got to think about the the best sources of energy for your body. Make sure that you get that right. It's not an excuse to just eat um, pizzas and crisps all day long because although you're getting calories but it's really important that you match your energy intake with your output Mm. because if you fail to consume enough energy or enough calories then you won't be able to perform properly so you'll be Mm. lacking in energy. You'll not be able to optimise your recovery. In other words you won't get the training gains. So if you're looking at energy Mm. yes of course we've got to I'm not advocating calorie counting because I mm. think that's very um, unhealthy to become it's obsessed. It's simplistic with... as well sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, calorie mm. counting is very simplistic. It can be useful for people who perhaps are starting out and have got mm. absolutely no idea really mm. what their food contains yeah. or how much energy they actually need for their life or for their exercise program. Yeah. But we have got rough and ready measures. So sometimes it's useful just to have a rule of thumb, but without Mm. tracking calories and without Mm. getting obsessed. Yeah. So for the average woman, for each kilogram of your body weight, you need 22 calories per day. Yeah. So if you do the mass, let's say you weigh 60 kilos, then multiply that by 22. That makes 1,320. Letting you do that, (laughs) I did did the mass extremely quickly there. Um, So that's the number of calories. That's your resting metabolic rate. That's the number of calories. Just to be alive. Yes, that you Mm. will burn just by lying down on a sofa or on a beach all day (laughs) long. I I like the on a beach analogy there (laughs) very much. Yes, so that's just to maintain essential body functions. Now, you can then multiply it by something that we call the physical activity levels. So, Which we used to call PALS pal, at university. Yes, pals. sounds very friendly. <laughs> it does, yes. <laughs> it? So um, that will vary according to your lifestyle and to your activity levels. So if you are sitting down all day long, you, that would be 1.2. But if you are doing an average amount of exercise, say three times a week, it would be about 1.5. Mm. But a full-time athlete it would be two or perhaps even higher if you are mm. a pro athlete. So say for the average um, person who weighs about 60 kilos, mm. you'll multiply your resting metabolic rate by 1.5 and that gives you an answer of about 1,980. There you go, I did really well quick. Well calculated, <laughs> I'm so impressed so, with So we'll say roughly 2,000. So that would suit the average person who does an average amount of exercise. So that's how many we should be, well, how much carbs, proteins and fats we should be eating a day. So we do it relative to to our activity levels and our basic metabolic rate. Yeah. Okay, so for those people, this is a different kind of lead on to that question, who have removed meat from their diet or have taken it out now to lead a more plant-based lifestyle, how do you recommend finding a balance between understanding the right combinations of protein and food? Because, of course, you can get incomplete proteins these days. Do you want to break that down for us? Yes, of course. I mean, one of the big mistakes that I do see with people cutting out meat is that they fail to replace that with any other protein sources so mm. we you know it's all very well perhaps having avocado on toast but there's very little protein in those you do need to add protein to your meals to substitute for for meat if you've chosen yes. to cut down or to cut it I'm out. I'm so glad you used the example of avocado on toast <laughs> because I see it everywhere and I'm like just add some edamame yeah. beans or seeds just something with protein yeah. to that dish. Okay so um, yes it's perfectly possible to get more than enough protein on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Mm. So the key thing is to replace um, the protein 
protein in meat with a plant source. And the main, the most important thing to remember when you cut down on meat is to consume a variety of plant protein sources. Mm. That's the key thing. So we're talking about beans, lentils, chickpeas, hummus. We're talking about soya, soya milk, soy tofu, products, tofu, tempeh. nuts and yeah. seeds and whole grains. So yeah. all of that. There's a whole. There's a long, long list of foods that you can oh, have, good. and. I would always recommend that people have at least one, but ideally two different plant proteins at each meal. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you're having, um, say, stir-fried veg with tofu, well, make sure that you're adding a grain to that as well. It could be mm. noodles, it could be mm. rice. So you're having more than one type of protein. People don't realise you can get protein in items like rice and oats and some yep. things absolutely. that are not classified typically as obviously animal products. It's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So on average, you know, 100 grams of most grains will give you somewhere between 10 and 12 grams of protein. So it's quite a bit. And although it's not a complete protein, in other words, it doesn't supply you with all of the essential amino mm. acids, there'll be usually one or two might be lacking in low amounts. Mm. So that's why it's important to have more than one protein in your diet. I love that. And the second thing actually is to make sure you consume enough. Yeah. I, I work with so many athletes mm. and active people who think that just by spreading hummus mm. on their toast mm. or on the sandwich is enough. But actually a tablespoon of hummus contains only about three grams of protein which you know is it's yeah. fine but you do need to add something else make sure you consume enough a tin of beans for example or chickpeas that contains roughly 18 grams of protein mm. but that's a lot I mean you do yeah. have to have quite hefty portions the whole tin. <laughs> quite honestly but yeah but in reality so what I do I'm vegetarian as well, yeah. so what I would do I'd have say half a tin of beans yeah. not not on its own but, you know, yeah. put into a curry or a stew or a pilaf or something so roughly half of that then you'd add your grains I always add some kind of nuts mm. so it could be cashew nuts so you have a variety of proteins so you don't need to yeah. sit down with a whole tin of beans <laughs> <laughs> which is really nice to know I think the classic example I like to use a lot is rice has something that beans doesn't have and beans have something that mm. rice don't have put them together bingo you've got a complete protein so let's break down you've mentioned amino acids acids. So what are the building blocks of protein and the amino acid pool? Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Well, yes, amino acids, as you've rightly said, are the building blocks of protein. So when you consume protein as food, the body breaks it down into its constituent yes. amino acids. They're then yes. absorbed into the body. They're rebuilt into new proteins according to the body's requirements. So it's a kind of a remodeling exercise mm. and it's actually continuous. So even though you've got protein in your muscle, but all the time it's being broken down on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, they make and enzymes, also during don't exercise. they, and tissues. And like we said earlier, so many things. It's not just about building muscle. You yes. just said it's breaking it down constantly. Yes, exactly. So we do have a requirement. I suppose the requirement, strictly speaking, is more for amino acids rather than protein. Interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. And as I said, we do need to have a regular supply on a daily basis mm. we've got a small what we call a pool of amino acids it's mm. not i'm not talking about a pond or a lake <laughs> or anything like that no swimming pool it's here it's the <laughs> circulating levels of amino acids it's mm. in your bloodstream and also in the digestive tract so it means that if one meal so let's say you had avocado on toast yes. for your breakfast you are not suddenly going to be losing muscle mass by lunchtime okay no. your body has got it's it's a cushion yeah. if you like yeah. so you will you'll be absolutely fine you won't be breaking down protein the problem would arise if you had a low intake of protein across your breakfast, whole your day. lunch. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but the ideal, if you want to optimise your muscle gains and optimise your workout gains, it's better to have your protein equally distributed throughout the day. So your breakfast, yes. your lunch, your dinner, and ideally yeah. at, a little bit in your snacks as yeah, well. We so want it constantly. Ideally, you want to be getting, I mean, we can put numbers on it if you like, Somewhere between 15 and 25 yeah. grams per meal is yeah. deemed to be the optimal level. And you'll be amazed how many people I see in clinic often get the bulk of their protein at dinner and they rarely get it at breakfast and lunch. It's like it's, yeah. it's not even included in the diet. And yeah. obviously the supplement market has boomed. We've all seen it and there's so many adverts now on platforms like Instagram as well, social media platforms. What 
is the evidence when it comes to supporting supplements, especially for sports people? You're absolutely right. Supplements are everywhere and we're seeing now all kinds of things. Branch chain amino acids are added to every Let's start with BCAAs. <laughs> okay. Let's start with those. Well, actually, before I really give <laughs> okay. you the conclusion on that one, mm-hmm. I'll just very, very briefly say that recently, well, 2018, the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, published a consensus. They assessed all the evidence relating to supplements mm. and health and performance benefits. And what they found that when it comes to performance, there are a very small handful of supplements that are actually backed by any robust research, a very small handful. So in other words, the majority of supplements that you'll see out there on social media simply do not work. There is not enough evidence. (laughs) So we can talk about, first Mm. of all, the the branch chain amino acids. I think acids, um, and then I I'll... see people with those tins constantly, those drinks. When I say tins, I mean cans, honestly, Rihanna. But yeah, people swigging them back, taking you know selfies, holding a can of them. Yeah. For some unknown reason, they have become incredibly fashionable. Mm. So there is very little, if, if anything, no evidence that branch chain amino acids have any benefit when it comes to performance or to health. They may well have a placebo effect because, of course, people say, oh, I feel better when I have branch chain amino acids. That's because you believe that you're going to feel better (laughs) and stronger. But what we do know when you look at the studies Mm. is that there is no advantage of branch chain aminos compared to protein. Mm. So perhaps if you are on a calorie deficit. So people, perhaps bodybuilders who are trying to shed weight and they cut their carbs and so on, they would still be better off by consuming protein a little bit before and also after exercise rather than having branch chain amino acids. So very little evidence that they work. I'm so happy you've cleared that one up, Anita, because I'm constantly trying to scream that to the rooftops, but hearing it from your mouth makes it (laughs) even better. Um, What advice then would you give to someone who's running a marathon or another endurance rate and needs energy to get through? Okay, so if you are doing a workout or an event that lasts longer than about 90 to 90 minutes to two Mm. hours, um, basically your glycogen stores will be taxed. So there is a danger of you depleting your glycogen stores. That's your carbohydrate stores in your muscles and your liver. So it is uh, is an advantage to begin that workout or that race with full glycogen stores. So you can carb load. That's what I think a lot of people think carb loading means just eating a big heavy meal of carbs the night before. But that's not the case. No, the way... uh, so. Carbohydrate loading is a dietary protocol that is designed to increase the glycogen stores in your body. And it's achieved partly by tapering your training for Mm. seven days, 14 days, plus consuming more carbohydrate for the last 24 to 48 hours beforehand. But it doesn't mean eating as much as you can. It doesn't mean a great big bucket of pasta carbonaras no it simply means just just focusing uh, including a portion of carbs such as potatoes pasta Mm. rice or porridge in each of your meals do not overdo it otherwise you'll feel bloated for the day of the race so um, it simply means that you are tapering your training and upping your carbs modestly it doesn't mean yeah. overeating yeah. so that you begin the race or the event with full full glycogen, glycogen stores. stores yeah rather like Excellent. filling up your petrol filling up your exactly filling up the tank and then during the event um, it's a good idea especially as I say if you're if you're going to be exercising mm. at a high intensity so like marathon pace oh, yeah. or equivalent for an hour and a half two hours to fuel during the race Mm. and the best thing to do is that you would do this regularly so most of my athletes will begin after about 45 to 60 Mm. minutes so don't wait until you're depleted Mm. and you've hit the wall so you'd start after about 60 minutes and it's little and often so roughly about every 5k if you're a marathon runner small amount of carbohydrate the ideal amount is about 30 to 60 yes. grams per hour but obviously it will depend on the intensity yeah. of your, of your <laughs> and run and the digestion of the yeah. client so what do and, they take and the, that's the most important thing is to have a fueling plan so you will trial you will experiment with different fuels before the race so don't just wait until you, and it's surprising how many London marathon I work with the London Marathon sure. and so many people turn up to register the day before and they will ask me 
do I need to take gels? I've never had them before. Oh, gosh. So yeah. um, it's that that's not the matter. Well, OK, next year's marathon, we'll get yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah. So you do need to <laughs> experiment with run. different fueling options. So you can, it's very, very individual. So you can use real food. Yeah. So that's a preference for a lot of people. Mm. Or you can use sports nutrition products such yeah. as the gels and the bars. Yeah. It's entirely up to you. I'm not saying one is necessarily any better. But the sort of real food options that we're looking at would be bananas, mm dried fruit like dates a lot, yeah. a lot of runners oh, were like med- yeah like medjool oh, dates yeah, I've heard of easier. a jelly baby as well jelly babies <gasps> for sure Yum. or any kind of mm. sweets I and mean, you can spend a lot of money buying these sports sweets these chews and blocks which are fine but they're a more expensive version mm. of jelly yeah. babies or kendall yeah. cake <laughs> some people i've heard having actual jelly cubes you can do that yeah. if you if it does come down to to individual preference yes. so you need to take food that you like and that yeah. you know you will find easy to digest mm. and will agree with Gosh. your digestive system you don't want to be eating what your mate's no. eating because <laughs> it might just sit there in your stomach and make you feel awfully unwell so experiment with different fueling options Mm -hmm. and then you'll know what's going to work I mean once again it does come down to we are unique individuals and you have to find what works for you which is crucial but getting the timing right so I think that's going to help a lot of people that are getting ready for the marathon next year Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, the UK government advises that all adults aged 19 to 54 should be undertaking this is the standard advice in the UK at the moment, 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity, plus strength training, maybe two days a week. So which exercises fall into these categories? And why do you think it's so important that we prioritise movement? Okay, so aerobic exercise, we're talking about really any rhythmical movement that usually uses the large muscle groups such as the legs that you can sustain for approximately 20 minutes doesn't mean you have to do it for 20 minutes but something that could be sustained we're talking about running walking cycling Mm. swimming any of the cardio yeah Yeah. any of the cardio machines in the gym (laughs) my favorite is the cross trainer (laughs) Oh, do yes. I'm a fan. Yeah. A little bit more interesting, isn't yeah, it, than yeah. treadmills? It is for me. And I often, as is naughty, but I do play solitaire sometimes on my cardio I'm, machine. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Good for the mind. Anyway, yes. So, so strengthening strength. exercise would obviously include weights yes. um, that you could do in, in a gym. So anything with, with dumbbells. But it can also include body weight exercises like lunges, squats and press-ups. Mm-hmm. It could include exercise bands. It could include... Pilates or yeah. Shtanga yoga, so certain t- disciplines of yoga is actually mm. very strengthening indeed. That's one of my favourite ways actually yeah. of retaining my muscle strength. Wow. So that's the difference between the two d- types of exercise yeah. that you mentioned. Because they're um, not just, it's not just about aesthetics, is it? No, absolutely not. So your, your, your reasons to exercise should go beyond appearance aesthetics. It should also, mm. you also need to consider 
how it makes you feel. So there are many, many mental health benefits. So starting with aerobic exercise, we know that it reduces depression, it enhances your mood, improves your mental well-being. Mm. We also know that there are numerous physical health benefits. So yes. we're talking about lowering blood pressure, we're talking about lowering blood cholesterol levels, yeah. but mainly in terms of strengthening muscles, yes. with, um, strengthening ligaments and mm. tendons. So yeah. joints become more stable, mm. reduces the risk of injury. Yeah. And of course, the bones are so, so good for the bones. Yes, um, definitely. So weight-bearing exercise is yeah. crucial for retaining your bone health yeah. as we get older. I think it's so important that we focus more away from aesthetics if possible, especially when we're talking about those kind of things. And It's something that reminds me of when I was a singer many years ago. My vocal cords and my voice would become stronger when I I'd moved a bit or I'd done some really? kind of workout and I think obviously it's a muscle in that area and I probably wasn't thinking yeah. about it but it aided my performance. So interesting. It's fascinating and you also touch on in your book the concept of metabolic efficiency. What does this actually mean? It's sometimes called metabolic uh, flexibility or mm. flexible fueling so different ways of talking about it. Basically it refers to the body's ability to use different fuels, in other words, carbs mm. or fat, yeah. at different exercise intensities. Yes. So by becoming more metabolically efficient or mm. becoming better, at you, it means that you're becoming better able to produce energy efficiently. Utilise it well. Mm. Yeah, so now we know that the body's got very small stores of carbohydrate relative to fat, so it's an advantage for everybody who exercises to really be able to tap into your fat stores more mm. at a given exercise intensity. So the objective with this type of training and eating is to become a better fat burner. So mm. don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about weight loss necessarily. No. I'm talking about performance here. Yes. So this is a this is a concept that is now very popular with endurance athletes, yeah. with runners, with ultra runners and yeah. so on, yeah. because if they can keep going longer and tap into their fat fuel stores, mm. then they can improve their endurance and they can delay fatigue. So yes. that's the objective. Yes. And the way that it's achieved really is by fueling for your workout. Now, what that actually means is that if you're doing a low-intensity workout, you can afford to cut down a little bit on your carbohydrate intake or you yeah. could actually do a fasted workout. Yes. But if you're doing higher-intensity workouts, you'll be consuming carbohydrates. Mm. You have a higher carbohydrate mm. availability. Yeah. What is so important for the regulars, for the amateur athlete or for the regular exercise, remember, is that fasted training has to be done very carefully indeed, mm -hmm. because if you overdo it mm -hmm. and if you're not fueling your body correctly with carbs, that can lead to fatigue, it can lead to muscle breakdown, it can lead to a, a drop in your immunity. And ultimately, if this goes on over time, it can lead to something that we call REDS, that's relative energy deficiency. Yes. And, and that's got many health awful. and performance consequences. And people are literally talking about faster cardio still saying it's the answer to body fat loss, which no. we know it's not. It, it can actually be very dangerous mm. to your health if you overdo it. So mm. faster training is fine, provided you have got clear performance goals and you've also got, I would say, professional guidance. I just don't think that people should be let loose on it. <laughs> um, because the, the, yeah, the problem is when you, you are exercising, I'm talking about high intensity exercise, mm. I'm not talking about a 30 minute jog before no, breakfast. No, doing a hit class, an so, hour hit class or something. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if, you, if you're doing lots and lots of fasted training, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will lose body fat. No. Um, but the danger, of course, is that it's putting a big stress on your body. Mm. So that's, I must underline that. Mm. Big stress means that you'll have high cortisol levels and that can result in hormonal disruptions. So that Huge. means a lowering of your estrogen progesterone. Yeah. It means that you'll have uh, less growth hormones. So yeah. it has many repercussions. Linked to even perhaps a bit of fat storage in a kind of roundabout way in the hormone cycle, perhaps. Yes. And what we're, what we're seeing um, in female athletes is the development of amenorrhea. So that's yeah. losing your monthly Periods, period. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's much more difficult to tell when 
males when, when men get it because they don't have the obvious no. outward symptom. Mm. But it, it, it is occurring more and more in males, so they'll end up with very low testosterone levels. That really isn't good news in terms of their bone health. Mm. So we now see more and more stress fractures, low bone mineral density in both males and females. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of other health consequences as well. I mean, it's almost like the world of sports nutrition has been taken on board because it's fashionable or trendy, as we said at the beginning, and we're getting a mix of, mixed mash of terrible messages being put out there that aren't correct. What about things like caffeine and alcohol? How do they affect our performance? Oh, okay. Well, let's deal with caffeine first. There is plenty of research supporting the positive mm. use of caffeine in sport, what it is, it's a stimulant, it acts on the brain, it basically lowers your perception of fatigue, so it can enhance your focus and your concentration, mm. and it means that exercise feels easier, so that you can continue exercising for yeah. longer before you experience true fatigue. Yeah. So um, having said that, I'm not saying now everybody's got to start consuming caffeine before no, they exercise. No, we're talking about it's ergogenic aids. Yeah, that's and it really it. not everybody is a responder. So we have responders, mm. non-responders, that's down to genetics. So it doesn't yes. work with everyone mm. and it can have side effects with some oh. people as well. Yeah. If you find generally that caffeine agrees with you, you don't react to coughing and so on, then it's fine to consume caffeine Mm. before or during exercise and it may improve your endurance. Mm. So that's caffeine. Um, (laughs) If if we're talking about alcohol, well, well, um, we certainly know that it's not a good idea to consume alcohol before exercise because it puts balance, coordination and concentration. Oh dear. So not not good news. (laughs) Definitely not trampolining. (laughs) Okay, so should you celebrate the end of a race or even the end of a workout with alcohol? The answer is... No, not really, because we do know from the research that alcohol can interfere with recovery and it can reduce muscle protein Mm. synthesis. Mm. And of course, it's a diuretic, so it can hamper the rehydration process. So rehydrate yourself first, refuel yourself first, and then you can go and crack open the champagne, (laughs) have a Um, pint. (laughs) Let me throw in then sugar. We may as well do all three of them. What about sugar? It's often Mm. demonised when it comes to weight, but does it have a place in sport? Yes. It does. Mm. Um, So sugar, it's a carbohydrate and it is very useful during high intensity and prolonged exercise for helping to maintain your blood sugar level. So consuming sugar, whether it's in the form of jelly babies or a drink or dried fruit, it can um, help maintain blood sugar levels, reduce, um, sorry, it, it, it can help to prolong exercise before you experience okay, fatigue. Right. So yeah. in other words, it reduces the taxation on your muscle glycogen stores right. and the liver glycogen stores Gosh. as well. So it can help to improve your yeah. endurance. And then post-exercise, sugar can have a role. I wouldn't say you'd be scooping spoonfuls <laughs> of it, but perhaps in the form mm. of a drink or yeah, even in yeah. the form of um, um, chocolate milk, for example. It can help yeah. to replenish glycogen We haven't glycogen touched on sports stores. drinks, and I know that they're quite a useful thing for some people however there are lots on the shop shelves um, that perhaps aren't as beneficial I'm guessing. Okay so sports drinks are mass market Mm -hmm. and although they do have a role for certain types of exercise we're talking really about 60 minutes plus so for those people who are doing an average workout or at a moderate intensity you don't need to consume sports drinks you don't need the extra sugar the the extra calories and you certainly don't need the extra sodium you only need that if you really are exercising to high intensity for a long period of time thank you for touching on that again because i think i see again on adverts on tv or billboards in london you know another perfectly striking image of somebody drinking or guzzling a drink of fizzy orange concoction. <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not a magic no. ingredient. No, it's it's definitely not. What about how does our different size and shape affect our performance, Anita? So a bigger body size having to work harder but more energy stores or or a lower body size to get gains quickly as they say. What's the difference is there? That's a really interesting concept. So the old dogma was that the lighter you are, the better you'll be able to perform and the faster you'll be able to go. However, that has now changed. Mm. And we now know that lighter doesn't necessarily mean faster because by restricting your 
calorie intake mm. or your food intake, that can lead to uh, a reduction in your performance. For each individual, there is an optimal range of body fat and body weight yeah. that will result in your optimal performance. Yeah. So it is very individual and it is impossible to give a precise amount of precise figures to an optimal body fat percentage for everyone. Yeah. So it's really something that's got to be arrived at through trial and error, mm. but without compromising health. Yeah, I think this is so important to touch on. We actually do have a whole episode coming up on weight loss, but I want to briefly touch on it here too, because what would you advise in the way of tra- a training plan for someone who's actually wanting to lose weight obviously like we've just said weight doesn't equal health the number doesn't always reflect what's happening in the body so I mean even weight gain is overlooked isn't it yeah okay so when it comes to weight loss well I accept that there will be many active people and athletes who will want to reduce for, mm. for whatever, you know, provided it's a good reason. Want well, to maybe reduce a category, it. a weight category in their sport. Perhaps. Yes, weight category sports such as mm. bodybuilding or... Boxing. Box, yeah, yeah, boxing, um, martial arts. So in that, the, the, the main thing to remember is to aim for a very modest reduction in your calorie intake. Mm. So anything... Um, a rapid weight loss will result in a loss of muscle, so that's yeah. a drop in your performance and drop mm. in functionality. And um, so the most important thing is it's got to be really gradual, so allow yourself sufficient time. So say somebody, and we're talking now about serious athletes, not really yeah. the average no. fitness. Yeah. So if they wanted to lose um, six kilos, well, you would give them enough time, so a minimum mm. of six weeks, really. So mm. definitely avoid rapid weight loss. The other thing, really, that is, I said to you, it's got to be suitable for your lifestyle. You've got to pick a way of eating mm. that is sustainable for your lifestyle and of course everybody likes different sets of foods so I certainly wouldn't be giving out diet plans and telling people exactly what to eat it's more adjustment of their current diet and taking account of likes and dislikes and so whether it's vegan or vegetarian whether it's plant-based whether Mm. it's high carb low carb Mm. it's really got to be suitable for that person's lifestyle and the type of training that they're doing so refreshing to hear because we both come across lots of people that have been given a one-size-fits-all approach when it and it just there's a reason diets don't work when they are angled in that way yeah Good. Yeah, 100%. So we now have a lot of questions from followers to ask you, Anita. So you won't have been privy to these. Um, Andy has said, if I can't immediately get to food after the gym, is a protein shake better than nothing? Okay, there is a big con- misconception that you need to consume protein immediately after exercise, but unless you are exercising twice a day mm. or within an eight-hour period... Yeah. There is not such an urgency. So mm. you can safely wait an hour, two hours or whenever your your next meal is without worrying too much. Mm. However, if you do require rapid recovery before your next workout, protein shakes are fine. They're fine, they? but yeah. you don't have to have supplements you can yeah. just have some regular food <laughs> well said even a cheese sandwich <laughs> a hundred or even a cheese sandwich andy there you go so martha has asked and this is actually quite relevant to what you said about doing faster training earlier um she said i exercise in the morning and can't stomach a big breakfast beforehand but i need something what could you recommend Okay, if you exercise first thing in the morning, if you really don't have an appetite, don't force yourself to eat. However, focus on your food intake the day before, which means that you will have a decent evening meal and therefore you'll be starting your exercise with reasonably full glycogen stores. Hopefully it will be a low or moderate intensity workout. But if Mm. you are planning a high intensity workout first thing, it would be a good idea to eat something, even if it's just a banana mm, before yeah. you work out. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. Sid has said, will I naturally burn more calories when resting at a bigger weight versus if I were a bit slimmer? The answer is yes, because the biggest yeah. determinant of your metabol- your resting metabolic rate and your calorie expenditure is your total body weight. Yeah, because how much the So, yeah, and it's feel. surprising. Everybody assumes mm. that larger people will 
um, be burning fewer mm. calories, but it's actually just the reverse. This it's is true. what I find with weight loss a lot or looking at body fat loss is people seem to go straight to a very restrictive mode, whereas actually they're probably not eating enough in the first place to even kick their body into being happy and content. And you know what happens then if you're under eating according to your needs is that your resting metabolic rate actually drops. Yeah, it's mm. an adaptive response. There we go. So be careful out there. Now, this is interesting. So Melanie has said, and I think I've read this in your book, Anita, I've heard that beetroot is really good to help me run longer. Is that really true? Well, there is a lot of research on beetroot juice. Mm. And the reason why it's been um, used by a lot of athletes is that it's high, it's naturally very rich in something called nitrates. So we find that in beetroots and then it's more concentrated in the juice. You can also get it in spinach and a lot of green vegetables, actually. So if you're having salads at this time of the year, then you'll be doing well. (laughs) So what these these nitrates do, the body converts it into nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. That helps to dilate your blood vessels so you get better delivery of oxygen and increased blood flow to the muscles during exercise. So research has shown that it can help to improve exercise efficiency during mm. sub-maximal exercise, like aerobic exercise. It can help you to keep going longer or, or to sort of reduce the amount of effort that you Great. need to put in at any I'm going to take the last follow-up question for myself. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I know. <Great. laughs> I want to ask, when I did my Level 3 PT course, they were talking about the creatine phosphate system. I don't think they really fully explained it in the depth that I think it needed. But why are people taking creatine? Let's touch on that because I think that's useful for people okay. to know. Okay, we've actually now got about 15 or 20 years worth of research on mm. creatine. And uh, so the reason it is taken is that um, as, as a supplement is that it can actually enhance your muscles store of phosphocreatine. Yeah. And that is used during exercise to regenerate energy very rapidly so in other words it's really useful if you're doing sprints if you're doing high intensity Mm. sets so like weights or something like that especially if you're doing repeated sets so the bottom line is that we know that um, creatine supplements if provided you take them correctly will lead to increases in your strength your power Mm. and your performance so really useful for Sprinters, track like cyclists, the sprint of the world. <laughs> yeah, and 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 obviously bodybuilders. It can yeah. enhance muscle mass. So um, and it has a role in recovery, even cognitive function. Actually, so the the research is expanding year by year. Okay. So pretty good news there. For the, One of the very yeah. few sports <laughs> supplements with a lot of research there behind Correct. it. Yes. So that moves me on to my favourite part of the podcast, which is our fact or fiction round. Are you ready, Anita? As ready as I'm ever going to be. Okay, so if you could answer fact or fiction after the following questions. Protein combined with carbs improves recovery. Mostly yes. Brilliant. Pregnant people shouldn't exercise. Incorrect. There you go, that's a fiction. You can only digest between 20 to 30 grams of protein in any one meal. Fiction. Okay, do you want to uh, divulge the answer to that? Sure, your body will absorb, you will digest and absorb all of the protein that you consume, even if you had 80 grams. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to muscle protein synthesis, you will only utilise roughly the amount that you just said, 25 to 30 grams. The remainder um, will be used potentially as an energy source, but it won't be be undigested. No. no. (laughs) Um, You can't get enough protein on a plant-based diet. Fiction. Over-exercise can induce loss of periods, amenorrhea. True fact, that is true. Cutting way back on protein is a good way to lose weight. That is fiction. <laughs> it's definitely not a good idea. No. Um, exercise machines beat free weights. Uh, I, I'd, say, I'd say fiction, actually. Yeah. I, I much prefer free weights, but you know the, re- the research yeah. mostly supports that, but it's mixed. Yeah, because you must use different muscle groups when you're, you're using, you're not stable, you're unstable. Yeah, yeah. there are pros and cons of machines, of for sure. Of course. It is impossible to eat too much protein. Um, <laughs> that really threw I'm me then as no, well no. when I'm reading it to you. I think sometimes there's yeah the, the double negatives I've got yeah, to try. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's impossible. Um, it's impossible to eat too much protein. 
I think that's that's true. Yeah. So because it, otherwise it would have been it's can. possible to eat too much protein, but we said it's impossible to eat too much yes, protein. So I, I let had you, to I think about Um Some sources of protein are bad. I can't think of any that are, so I'd no. say it's fiction. Yeah. No, no food is bad. There we go. No food is inherently bad or good. And running on a treadmill is as effective as running outside. I'd say that's not true. That's probably fiction. I I think there are more advantages to running outside. Couldn't agree more. Thank you very much, Anita. Excellent quick fire yeah, around there. Very welcome. <laughs> so that's our fact or fiction. And as with every podcast, I like to finish with a food for thought. So today mine would be that I think that when it comes to sports nutrition, the four R's that I wrote in my first book, Renourish, are a really relevant and easy to remember tool. So the first R is to respect your body. You and your body deserve the best. So make it a priority to see eating as an opportunity to nourish, particularly when it comes to maximizing the time and dedication you commit to exercising. Then there's refuel. As we've demonstrated today, so Anita and I have been discussing this and Anita in depth as well, that nutrition and exercise really do go hand in hand. It's not all about macros or protein, but also the micronutrients as well. So think about your diet on a whole. The third is rehydrate. So the human body is about 60% of water. It makes perfect sense that we need to keep our fluid levels topped up. This is particularly key when recovering from fluids lost in sweat. I'm actually going to ask Anita to jump in on this food for thought, just to add the importance of replenishing liquids when we've been sweating. Yeah, absolutely. Recovery cannot take place until you have rehydrated your body cells. Mm. Um, if you are dehydrated, that will have a, a quite a dramatic effect on your performance. Um, you'll certainly be underperforming. Uh, it will affect fatigue as well. Mm. You're more likely to fatigue. So rehydration really, also key, proper yeah. hydration, I should say, is is absolutely key during uh, so before, during and after yeah. exercise. So important. Thank you. So the last R is is recover. And I suppose this involves restoring your chemical, hormonal balance, your nervous system, but also your mental health. So don't ignore your body when it comes to being rested. And exercise is just as important as rest as well. So Anita, if you have one take-home message, I ask every guest um, on the podcast to share something they think the listeners could really benefit from. What would that be? Okay, so when it comes to nutrition and exercise, um, it is so important to remember that they are inextricably linked. Um, you've always got, you know, do make sure that you fuel properly for every workout. You pay attention to your nutrition during the recovery process, because if you don't, then you won't get the training gains. So always ensure that you fuel for your workouts properly yeah. and that you pay attention to eating and drinking well after each workout. But don't get obsessed. Remember, you've still got to enjoy your food. Yes. You know, that is one of the most important roles of food. Yeah. Um, it's not just the, the physical benefits. It's the uh, mental well-being benefits of food Gosh. as well beautifully put Anita thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge on food for thought today you are very welcome thank you so much for listening to food for thought it really is amazing to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice if you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So please make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please, if you have time, do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 